Hello and welcome to the Global Skiing Podcast. This is Tom Gelly, and today I'm interviewing uh, one of my old mentors and a good friend Norman Kreutz from uh, Canada. So just to give you a bit of a background on Norm, Norm is a CSIA Level 4, CSCF Level 3, Level 4 Course Conductor, uh, he's a Mountain Guide Level 1, Director of Snow Sports at the Silver Star Mountain Resort, and that's since 2002, so long stint there. He is a CSIA course director for uh, 14 years, was a member of the demo team, the CSIA member, uh, CSIA demo team from 1988 to 2002. Uh, he's also been the assist- assistant demo team coach um, through the three years leading up to 2002, and he's also a CSIA technical committee member for the CSIA. So, and you, that was from 1985 to 2010. So have I kind of <laughs> fitted that long, long list of credentials in there, Norm? Yeah, well, hi, Tom. Uh, yes, you have. Sure makes me feel kind of old. I've, I've been in the business for, for quite some time. It doesn't feel that long, but uh, obviously I have been around uh, for, for quite, quite a while and uh, I really enjoy the business. Yeah, well, I just wanted to say thanks for coming on the show and calling in from Canada. And... Um, yeah, for for those of um, out there that don't know you, I mean, when I first started ski instructing uh, back in two thousand and five, um, I just remember uh, this really strong leader of the ski school, which was yourself, um, sort of having a huge influence on me. You know, wanting to take this on as a career. Because obviously I had pressure back home from parents, you know, when are you going to go to university? And I came over to Silver Star and and found Silver Star and was really impressed with how the ski school was run and and the way you run things. So um, yeah, from my point of view, that's I just wanted to let you know that's that's the impression you gave me. So would you give us a bit of a background on your experience and sort of how you got into skiing? Well, first of all, thanks very much, Tom, for uh, even inviting me. You know, I, I, I feel that I'm uh, in amongst a, 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 a bunch of elite people that uh, you are interviewing. And, uh, you know, my career, if, if I look at uh, the way you, you kind of started, uh, my career was very similar to, to this. Uh, I, I was uh, just a, a, a young ski racer. Um, I come from a, a relatively... Uh, family. My, my parents couldn't really afford to allow me to ski race. They couldn't afford to send me to a lot of races since uh, ski racing is a, it's a difficult thing to do here in Canada. Uh, growing up in Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's in the middle of Canada, kind of away from the mountains and away from the, the ski scene a, a whole bunch. So um, I, after I did ski race a little bit, I ended up getting into the coaching side of things because of uh, financial reasons more than anything. And I really enjoyed uh, working with the kids and, uh, and moving forward. And I, too, was uh, supposed to go to uh, university, and uh, my parents were trying to push me to go towards uh, university. Uh, however, I took a year off, and I went out west uh, back in 1979 to try and um, see whether I wanted to uh, maybe ski for a little while and then go back to university. Well, 1979 was the year, and I never, ever did go back to school. And so... Mm-hmm. Uh, I only have high school education. My education really has been the ski ski industry, uh, the ski business, uh, and ski teaching in, in specifics has uh, has really been uh, my schooling all through the years. 
Mm. So uh, once I ended up um, uh, going out west, I ended up getting my level two instructors and I worked my way through the system fairly quickly. And um, in 1983, I was able to attain my level four. And uh, as soon as I worked uh, level four or got my level four, I started to uh, to work on some courses as well. And uh, I really noticed that I, I just had a, a real zest to teach others, um, first of all, the passion that I have for the sport. And second of all, uh, that it you need to understand skiing in order to teach skiing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something that I wanted to uh, pass along to a lot of people is that uh, you can be the best guest service person out there, but if you have nothing to teach, uh, you're not really fulfilling the, the guests' expectations to improve. Yeah. So that, that's really what I wanted to try to do and, and work towards that. So um, I was in Banff for three, uh, three years, uh, four years, 79 to, uh, to 83-84 season. And Norm Carrera, uh, who, uh, who owned, was a, a part owner in Sunshine Village, they purchased Silver Star at the time. And Norm gave me a call in the summer that summer and said, uh, would you like to come and be the assistant snow sports school director out at Silver Star? And uh, he offered me what I thought was a lot of money at the time. And I <laughs> kind of jumped, <laughs> jumped at the chance because it, uh, it was a pretty, pretty good offer. So I ended up going out to, to Silver Star. And as you know, uh, the Okanagan Valley, uh, when it comes to snow quality, uh, the people, uh, it is one of the nicest places in in the world to, to, to be as far as the, the snow quality is concerned. Um, and uh, so I spent three years there working uh, within the snow sports school and uh, Martin Olson, who was one of my mentors, um, a- along with a number of others, but Martin was the, uh, the Western course director for the Canadian Ski Instructors Alliance. He ended up uh, getting in an airplane accident and, and got hurt fairly badly and um, realized that he couldn't ski much anymore. So uh, he ended up asking me if I would like to uh, take over the job of being Western Course Director for the Canadian Ski Instructors Alliance. And, uh, you know, my my passions really uh, fell into that category, and I, I'd love, love to take over. And uh, he mentored me uh, all through that, and uh, for 14 years, that's, uh, that's what I did. I worked for the CSIA uh, year-round position, um, and uh, I taught a lot of courses in my time. Um, I mean, in 2002, I got two boys, uh, Alex and, and Matthew, and my wife, Debbie, uh, said, you know, I'm raising the boys on my own, and it would be really nice if you, you settled down back here in Vernon and up at Silver Star. And uh, the Schumann family uh, from Australia had just purchased uh, Silver Star, and they asked me if I'd like to run the snow sports school there. So, uh, I took over as the uh, the snow sports school director or director of snow sports at Silver Star back in 2002. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, uh, it, I kind of came around and uh, you know settled back into the place that I uh, I really have called home all these years. And so just in here, a bit of uh, info you've given me, you've spent a few summers in the southern hemisphere. Yeah, so uh, back in 1982, I. Uh, I ended up going down to New Zealand. Um, that was a bit of a, uh, uh, really a bit of a soul-searching uh, mission. I'm, I, I was a little bit afraid of going down there because I really didn't know what was happening. But uh, a really good friend of mine from Banff, uh, Link Metcalf, had gone down there the year before, and uh, he asked me if I would like to go back to, to Broken River. And Broken River is a, it's a little club field just outside of Christchurch. Uh, it's along the same mountain range as Mount Hutt. So you've got Mount Hutt. Uh, 
uh, Porter Heights, Mount Cheeseman, Broken River, and Craigie Burn. They're all all along the same same mountain range there. And it's a little club field. Um, there's a few huts out up on the hill. Uh, they slept about maybe 70 people for a ski week. Uh, people would come up for the ski week from all over the place. And um, and then we would end up uh, teaching skiing uh, to those uh, those ski weekers. No, there was no grooming. It's all rope toes. Um, <laughs> it, it was pretty uh, rustic, and I really enjoyed that that side of it. And uh, so you you taught in whatever was on the on the ground, whatever nature brought you. And uh, the mountain became a real big mogul field through through the year. If we didn't get much snow, the moguls would just get bigger and bigger. But okay. we'd get. Uh, We'd get beginners from Wellington coming down, and uh, you'd have to teach them how to get on a rope toe. You'd sandwich them between uh, each other and uh, um, pull them up the rope toe, and then uh, they'd be skiing bumps right away in a in a nice wedge position. So <laughs> I, I mentioned there in, in the note that I sent to you that I think my skiing really took off because I went to New Zealand, and I had to teach, and I had to ski in whatever conditions uh, there were. So... Uh, from yeah. a technical standpoint, I had to make sure that my feet were in the right spot at all times, and uh, you know, I found it really, really propelled my skiing to the next level. Mm-hmm. And in that stage, where were you? Were you level four already by that stage? I, I was a level three, and the next year that I went back, I ended up having my level four. So uh, uh-huh. uh, the first summer was just a, a level three, and then uh, the, the next time I came back, I was a level four. So uh, yeah. Uh, like I say, um, it really helped me in the exam situation because uh, I loved skiing off-piste. Uh, growing up in Thunder Bay, we never had a lot of bumps. And if we did have them, they were hard, icy, Volkswagen-sized bumps. But uh, um, the off-piste side of things, which we didn't have in eastern Canada, it, it really kind of propelled me in, in western Canada and uh, mm-hmm. uh, in New Zealand in particular. So I really enjoyed it a lot. So perhaps a good message in there for people trying to maybe get that top level to come down and ski some of the stuff we get in Australia and New Zealand. Oh, it, it absolutely makes you a, a fantastic skier. Um, when you have to uh, toy with your base of support and move your feet around so that you can balance yourself and try and link uh, link turns together there, um, you know, the, the harder the conditions, uh, the better it is. It, you're, you're just kind of pushing yourself as you move along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. So um, I'm not sure if you've heard of a book called uh, The Talent Code, but um, basically it sort of explains that genes don't necessarily dictate whether someone is going to be a good skier. Um, a lot of it has to do with um, repetition, the environment they're placed in, practice of, of a skill that kind of you know 10,000 hours type idea what's what's your sort of thoughts on that you know people are born as a as a great skier or can people start from you know perhaps you know not a great skiing background and and develop that what's your thoughts well I, I think that uh, you, you have both you do have some natural uh Athletes, you know, where uh, they, they've got cat-like reflexes, they know what to do uh, with their their feet to balance themselves properly. They they're very aware of what their body position does. But I've also, uh, through my career, have met and uh, been mentored by a number of people that um, learn in a, in a different way. And just as you say, you know, it, it takes ten thousand hours or twenty-eight straight days of 
total repetition to try and change certain motor patterns. And people have become very, very successful in imprinting the, these motor patterns uh, into themselves, not just through uh, genetics, but through, uh, through repetition. Um, I remember, you know, I was never very good at doing a, a, an exercise that we call speece. Uh, when I was, uh, when I was racing, you know, my, my coach at the time, Keith Robinson, who is, uh, who's a master coach with the Canadian Ski Coaches Federation, um, he said, we got to practice this. You got to practice this a, a, a whole bunch. And I lived out in the country. We had a fairly big property out in the country. And, uh, so I would uh, go and pack the snow down and a nice gentle slope in the backyard. And I would practice it and practice it. And Keith would try to make us do speece all the way down this green run called the gold. And it was probably a kilometer in length. It was a mm. fairly lengthy, you know, and we would go until you got tired and then you stopped and then you went again. And, um, uh, an exercise such as that, um, to this day, I, I feel I can still do that because I ended up just repeating it over and over and over again. Uh, it, it helped with so much in skiing. Um, you know, when we're jumping, so many people try to jump with their upper body, and uh, here it made you uh, realize that the ankle joint is such an important joint in skiing that you, uh, you have to have mobility and uh, all the quickness that you have uh, in your skiing really comes right from the foot level and through the ankle and, uh, um, it, you know, speech was a fantastic uh, piece that way. And another, uh, situation would be, um, Lad Snowsell, who was in charge of Banff Club Ski when I went out to Banff. Uh, he was my mentor there. He was my ski school director. He, he did the sessions for me. And, and Lad is a, he's a great athlete, but, uh, Admittedly, he is not—he's not a natural athlete, and he has to do everything kind of in a step-by-step -step process. And there, there is a man that was able to do that kind of thing step-by-step, um, -step, and he ended up making the demo team. He was one of the smoothest skiers uh, that that we had out there. It was a bit mechanical; it wasn't as uh, uh, easy for him as it was for for some of the other mentors that I've had through my skiing career. But uh, there's there's someone that put a lot of time and effort into each and every maneuver that uh, he became a, a really good skier as well. So when I was sort of thinking about that question, I almost uh, specifically was thinking about uh, your son. <laughs> so I guess I was thinking, what, like, can you comment on that side of things? Because I know your son... Uh, is it just recently he decided to not pursue ski racing and go into golf? Is that right? That's that's correct. Yeah. yeah so my, but, but my was, youngest he, son, Matt, he was Matt, very he, very good. Yeah. Well, both both my sons, uh, Alexander as well, uh, they made it up to, uh, to 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 just shy of uh, BC ski team level. Um, and Matthew, he had all the new gear in front of him, and he was ready to move towards the the BC ski team, and uh, he ended up. Uh, deciding that he wanted to pursue golf because he's a very good golfer as well. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, golf is, is a, a sport where it is repetition. Uh, you, you have to, uh, I think I've mentioned this to, to a number of people, practice doesn't necessarily make perfect. Uh, perfect practice makes perfect. So mm -hmm. uh, the repetition is, is fine and dandy, and you can keep on doing it, but if you're repeating things in uh, the wrong way, you're just imprinting the wrong uh, uh, message into the brain as well. So when you are practicing and when you are working towards things, 
uh, you have to have someone there to observe or make sure that you get some video done of yourself so that you can see whether you're doing it correctly or not. And, and my kids, you know, as far as uh, their skiing career, the imprinting was just following dad uh, or following mom. Uh, mom's also a very good skier. And, uh, and imprinting the motor patterns that the parents had and, and working with that. And, you know, my, my good buddy and your good buddy, Steve Smart, um, was their coach all the way through, uh, through their ski racing career. And I attribute a lot of their successes and their, their talents for skiing in what Steve did. And Steve, um, he did a lot of that where they imprinted the, the correct motor patterns through repetition over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I'm, I'm a strong believer in doing that. If I go back just to, back to 1983, this is a long time ago, yeah. but uh, the 1983 Canadian uh, interski team, uh, the, the nickname for them was the Canadian Side Slip Team. Right. Um, and uh, Andre Schwartz was the coach of, uh, of the, the, the team. And from 79 to 83, we went through a, a real rebuilding here with the Canadian Ski Instructors Alliance from a base of, of rotation to a base of counter-rotation. And uh, Andre would, would end up having the demo team members just side-slipping. Uh, all they could do was side-slip and try and feel that their, their legs are turning against their body and creating a little bit of separation and counter-rotation. And uh, he wouldn't even let them make a turn at the end of the side-slip. They would actually have to do a kick turn and then side-slip the other way because he was afraid that when they, they turned, they would imprint that rotation back into them. Right. So... Um, you know, having grown up with all of those mentors, uh, that's what I did a lot of as well. Growing up and working in the ski industry, I did a lot of side slip, a lot of bricage, a lot of that kind of stuff to, to try and get the, the legs to do the turning as opposed to the upper body leading the turn. Mm -hmm. A lot of perfect practice, not just perfect practice. practice. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Excellent. And so with with someone like Matthew and, and Alex, those younger people, you know, it's often difficult to keep them engaged, you know, because obviously they're wanting to, you know, play and all that sort of stuff. So how how do you find, like, other coaches, successful coaches, maybe Steve was, you know, were there ways, tactics that he was able to get this really good imprinting going but still keep it fun so they didn't lose interest? Well, I, I think that one of the biggest things uh, when, when you're trying to teach the, the young people, and, and my kids were a good example, is that um, make sure that we have a variety of, of ways to, to imprint so that it doesn't become monotonous and, and fatiguing for them mentally. Uh, we have to try to keep their, their minds sharp to, to try to imprint that. And something that, that Steve and I did with our children is that we we did try to imprint the proper technique into them, but in a variety of situations. So trying to uh, use terrain as as the tactic to, to develop the, their skills. So uh, instead of being on the flats, trying to make the perfect turn all the time, we'd go off in the trees or in the bumps or in the powder and, and use a variety of different situations while still trying to attain the same goal, the same same feelings in everyone, but just making it a, a whole bunch of fun. Going yeah. into the terrain park, we would do the same thing. You know, as much as you hate as a ski racing dad to watch your kids sliding on boxes and uh, dulling their skis, but 
there's a lot of things that you can do within the terrain park that is is going to imprint the proper motor patterns in, into kids as well and uh, and give them the right feelings that way. So mm -hmm. I, I think that variety is, is a big thing. I, I hate seeing uh, the kids every single day just running gates, running gates, running yeah. gates. Uh, they, they, they've got to have a little bit more variety to it. Yeah, yeah good point. So then on to the... <laughs> the sort of older people or instructors or whatever, you're running a ski school and for doing that for many years and running many uh, courses, like do you have a particular way you like to run, say, you know, say you had a two, three hour training session um, with a group of instructors, how do you like to sort of plan it out and, and, and progress it? Are there a couple of good key things that you would, you know, mention for us? Well, you know, I have been doing it for a long time, and I have to say, um, having a German background, I was a bit autocratic initially when I uh, I did this. You do it this way, and uh, there, that was the only way to, to do it. But as I've uh, grown a little bit older, um, I really want um, the learner, whether it's a, it's a client or whether it's snow sports school, to take ownership of, of their own learning. So uh, when we present things, uh, we really want to try to present things in, in such a way that when they walk away, they know what to do, what kind of feeling they need to have in order to make those, uh, those improvements in themselves. So I don't have to be there. Uh, a trainer doesn't necessarily have to be there every single minute of the day. They can start to, to do some, some things on their own and start to analyze themselves just a, a, a tiny bit more mm -hmm. as, as well. Um, in our training at Silver Star, and we have uh, you know, training going on in the afternoons, uh, we usually go out for a ski in the morning. The morning it has very uh, little technical content, it's more of a team building type, type thing. In the afternoons when we do have a little bit more time, we start to, to work on things. And uh, as I've mentioned before, basics is something that, uh, that you have to work on. So you know, some of us don't enjoy doing the basics, but if you have a good foundation uh, and work on those basics, it will follow you through all of your skiing types, whether you're, you're skiing slow or fast, skiing uh, bumps or skiing powder. Uh, those, those basics will always show up, and any weaknesses that you have within those basics, uh, they'll, they'll end up showing up. So I, I try to, uh, to work hard on uh, um, the skills that we call here in the, in the CSIA, I, I, I try to work hard on, on stance issues, uh, making sure, um, you know, I've been brought up through a, a system uh, back in 83 again. We called it movement in motion. And movement in motion was a concept of, uh, of how people ski, how to look at skiing. And it, it deals with two components. One is the basis support, uh, which in our case is the feet and, and it could be the skis as well, but we... We try to, to bring it as close to just being the feet as, as possible. And the other one being the center of mass or center of gravity. And we manipulate the base of support to try and guide the center of mass down the slope in uh, as uninterrupted a fashion as we possibly can. So uh, we have to do bending and stretching of the legs. We have to edge the skis. We have to, uh, have to do a, a multitude of different things in order to guide that center of mass down, down the slope. So when I'm teaching someone, I'm really working hard on them trying to feel 
how their feet are in relationship to their center of mass for whatever type of turn that we're, we're doing, whether it's a braking turn, trying to slow myself down, mm-hmm. or whether it's a carving turn where I'm trying to actually speed myself up. Uh, what is that relationship that we have with the base of support and the center of mass? So um, a lot of the sessions that we do, they're not so much um, technically based, but they're a lot on feelings and sensations that people have and trying to, to understand, you know, what I need to do to, to uh, uh, pronate the foot inside the boot, what that feeling is, is like, uh, where my foot should be in the arc so that uh, my center of mass is supported nicely. Is my center of mass rising and falling uh, a whole bunch through the, the turn? Or do I want to flatten out the trajectory that the center of mass has? So those are the kinds of things that we play around with a whole bunch. And obviously you have uh, you have tools, uh, you have tactics, you have uh, turn shapes, you have situations at Silverstar that we use to try to develop that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. So you've got me intrigued. What? Uh, so if you like to use feelings a lot, what are you... Currently, when you go out on snow, what are some feelings you're playing with? Well, you know, I what I try to feel when I'm, I'm skiing is um, I really do try to feel that um, skiing to me is like a dance, um, not a robotic dance. Uh, it's it's a very you know my parents were great dancers. Uh, they, they they just flowed on the dance floor and. Uh, uh, when my dad was still alive uh, and, and mom, you know, it was amazing just to watch them do that. And uh, skiing to me is like that as well. Whereas what I want to do is I want to flow down down the slope. It, it's almost like, like water running down, down the slope. I'm trying to uh, not interrupt that flow uh, at all. So I'm, I'm trying to uh, edge the ski as early as, as possible in, in the turn so that I feel some grip and then I am in control of my, my destiny down, down the slope. So to answer your question there, Tom, I, these days what I am trying to do, and I think ski design, modern ski design has helped us a whole bunch, is that I try to pronate the foot quite early in the turn to try to develop some grip. And when I talk about pronating, um, as you pronate the foot inside the boot, I, I feel that there's maybe some pressure uh, on the ball of the foot uh, mm-hmm. initially, that we're, we're have a little bit of shin contact in the front of the front of the boot. You feel some pronation, you feel some grip, and then as the base of support gets skied uh, skied out and the center mass moves to the inside of the arc, uh, I try to move my ski onto its sidewall as much as I possibly can for the situation that I'm, I'm skiing. So. I'm trying to tip the ski over as much as possible uh, so that the ski starts to bend and arc around my foot and uh, and I can control the arc that, that the ski is going to, 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 to make uh, mm-hmm. throughout the turn. Um, so, as, sorry, yep. You go, you go. As, as pressure builds, what I, I try to do as well is um, I've never been a big advocate of pressing on the ski. I, I hear many instructors uh, say, I want you to press on the ski or push on the ski. Um, I try to allow the ski to push on me. Um, I find if something is pushing on me, I can either resist it or I can succumb to that pressure a little bit more easily. And then 
I can actually feel that uh, I can control pressure uh, better that way. If I'm pressing on something and in skiing, uh, the likelihood of your ski um, uh, releasing its edge and, and releasing the grip on the snow is, is relatively high. This year, especially, uh, we haven't had much snow. We've had very difficult, hard conditions. And if we press too hard sometimes, that ski just breaks loose. And I, I have a tough time reacting to that. Mm-hmm. So I want to try and, and pronate the foot, get the ski on edge, tip it over as much as possible, try to develop pressure on the ski, and then uh, either succumb to that pressure or resist that pressure, however the situation would, would allow for. Um, the transition from one turn to the next, you know, turning for me is not making an arc on one side of the body and an arc on the other. It's that linking that is, is so crucial. How, how do I link those two? Uh, so trying to, to ski from fall line into the new fall line, that to me is turning. That's, uh, that, that is the key. How do I do that? Uh, so what I have to try to do is I have to steer my, my skis back underneath or in the modern era, if I'm on a slalom ski, the, the ski does a lot of that turning for me if mm-hmm. I have it on, on the edge. I don't really have to input a lot of uh, extra turning effort into the ski. But as that ski comes underneath, I now have to uh, watch how much my center of mass is going to be lifted up and over top. Uh, You can imagine in the apex of the turn, your bum is probably fairly close to the snow if you're trying to uh, uh, put the ski up on its sidewall. Mm -hmm. um, Your bum and center of mass, for that matter, will end up rising in between the turns somewhat. But I want to try to minimize that, uh, that rising. The more I go up, uh, the less pressure I can build early in the next turn. So um, I have to succumb to that pressure, absorb it a little bit, and then start to pronate the, the new foot and get the ski back on edge. So I'm trying to, to uh, make sure that the center of mass is still rising and falling a little bit, so there's some life in our skiing, mm-hmm. but I'm minimizing the amount that it's, it's rising and falling these days, especially yep. with the modern equipment. Yep. Is that a... I mean, I know in a way, is it a new, newer type of focus for you, that less of an up? Oh, definitely. You know, yeah. in the old days when we were skiing on 205s and, uh, and 203s for slalom skis, and uh, they were uh, 45, 50-meter radius skis, you had to move a whole bunch uh, mm-hmm. because there was a physical effort to try and turn the ski. Um, it was much more difficult just to put it on edge and hope that it comes around. But with modern ski technology now, uh, there's less effort to, to, to have to actually turn the ski. And uh, our whole focus, and in the snow sports school, I've really been pushing this as well. Right from the very beginner level, uh, instead of talking so much about uh, turning the leg against the body, uh, we talk about edging mm-hmm. and uh, creating some grip and uh, and having the skis turn, turn for them because uh, there's assistance that, that has been given to us there, and we want to try to use that. So even at a beginner level, in a, in a wedge position, we, we talk strongly about trying to develop grip. So that pronation, that tightening of the muscles, um, uh, feeling uh, feeling the, the, the muscles along the leg tighten up and feel that grip and, and steer the ski across the hill. That, that's really important for us to, uh, at this point in time. Yeah. I, I, I have to say, Tom, like, you know, I am a little bit older. I'll be 56 this year. Uh, the strength is is not the way it used to be. Uh, so, you know, 
we have to be careful that I'm not just absorbing all the energy all the time and, and skiing in a really bent position mm -hmm. for the older folks. Uh, we might just have to uh, to change the focus a little bit there so that the skeletal structure is, is aiding holding them up and, and not so much uh, muscular effort is used there as well. So, you know, going from, from children to a, an older person, we have to just make sure that we... Uh, we find a nice balance in there. Um, you know, if the older person needs to rise a little bit in between the turns, then allow them to rise because it'd be too fatiguing to, to you know, uh, bend as much as you see Ted Ligety and uh, mm -hmm. uh, Marcel Hersher do and, and so on and so forth. You couldn't be able to, to do a nice long run down Holy Smokes at Silver Star yeah. uh, doing that the whole way down, right? <laughs> you have to stop and take a break. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So then if you... Uh, with this focus, if you got back on a longer ski, even a almost a straight ski, or you know the modern GS now, do you still feel that 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 is that is really important? If you're trying to perform at the highest level, that same principle of you know the the center of mass maybe just matching the the amount you need to get early edge, so not coming up too much, but be able to get early edge and pressure, do you feel that's still the same? Yeah, you know, the, the modern skis, even uh, even though, uh, you know, the modern GS skis, they're, they're closer 35, 40 meter radius, the skis that we were skiing on way back when, they were more 50, 55 meter radius. They didn't even have as much side cut as those skis, skis do. But um, Depending on where you are uh, on the slope, if it's a really steep slope and there's a lot of offset and you've got to try to get the ski around, uh, you see what uh, what the World Cuppers are doing. They are um, uh, doing a little skivet uh, type, type turn. They are um, making that move. There is a, a, a definitely a little bit more of an up movement. Mm -hmm. the, those athletes are so powerful these days. Everyone is so strong that they just wait till the right moment and then they hammer on the edge and the impulse is relatively short again. But as soon as the slope starts to flatten out a little bit, I, I think that their idea is still to try and get that ski over on edge as much as they possibly can so that the ski starts to bend and all of a sudden that 35-meter ski becomes a 26-meter ski mm -hmm. because it's bent so much. Uh, then that arc is still able to, to, to be created uh, exactly the way uh, we would on a pair of slalom skis for you and I to get that, that same sensation. Yeah. And you know, with my boys racing, I, I've gotten on, I've, I've been on their GS skis a, a number of times, and it, it feels like I'm going back in time. You cannot rely on the side cut. You have to work hard to make the, the ski actually work for you. And yeah. tipping it over, getting the tip to engage, uh, you can't be in the back seat with those puppies because uh, they're going to end up, uh, you know, going straight on you. So you better be centered, a little bit of pressure onto the shovel of the ski and make sure that you are tipping it over as far as it possibly can. And they'll still make some really nice arcs for you. Mm -hmm. And is there anything uh, back on the feelings? Do you ever, like, kind of focus above, like, the pelvis or sort of are you mostly focused sort of foot ankle knee hip like are there any times you've played around with sort of you know upper back or shoulders or head like fritz yeah. sort of has 
I think that you have to, you know, in the initial stages of making sure that you're, you're balanced properly on the ski, I have a couple of rules that I try to remind myself uh, at all times. I think of my collarbone uh, being kind of lined up over my kneecap at all times. So whether I'm bending a, a whole bunch or whether I'm standing up so that I, I feel like I'm, I'm balanced in a cylinder. You know, if the cylinder was straight up off the middle of the ski, I, I bend inside that cylinder and I stand up inside that, that cylinder. So mm-hmm. fore and aft, there's not a, a ton of play there, but I'm, I'm kind of working within in that cylinder. And I, I try to make sure that everyone does that. I think of my elbows and, and my arms uh, being relaxed, but out in front of me, uh, visual. I can see them out of the corner of my eye. Uh, as soon as we start to, to lose a little bit of the hand positioning and so on and so forth, it affects what happens happens down below. So yes, I, I still work on those things. Um, you know, an important one, and uh, I, I know that uh, one of your other podcasts here, Fritz, talks about it as well, but I've mentioned it to a number of people. And funny enough, today I'm, I'm teaching a, a level two course uh, up at the hill, and we're working on trying to develop some, some skiers. And, uh, you know, your, your head needs to stay level. Um, uh, your equilibrium is your middle ear. Um, if your head is bobbing around and moving from side to side, it's hard for all of those other skills and balance issues to, to, to be there. So, you know, today I had two, two fellas there where, uh, you know, I just said, uh, think of, of your goggles uh, having water halfway up the goggles, water in them. And I want you to try and keep that water level. Don't tip it over into one eye or the other eye. Think, uh, think of a spirit level being right in front of you and, and treat, keeping that bubble in between the lines. And that makes a huge difference. And uh, we got instantaneous results. I didn't talk about feet. I didn't talk about anything else. I just tried to, to talk about trying to keep the head level. And uh, sure enough, we got a little bit of angulation. We ended up getting some separation. Yep. Uh, all of those things started to come together because they weren't skiing with their head. Yeah. And you see that with so many, uh, so many uh, public skiers. The first thing that goes into the turn is they dive their head into the turn. Yep. Yep. Oh, excellent. Oh, that's cool that it happened today. Um, so you've a keen interest in uh, the World Cup. I know a couple of times when I've visited, we've sort of sat in your office and watched, you know, Marcel Hirsch's latest run or Alexi Panter or something like that. Um, yeah, I know it might be going back over what we've discussed, but are there any other things you see in, you know, currently the best World Cup skiers? Uh, you know, I, I do have a... Um, I think that if you want to become the best, you have to look at the best to try to, to figure out what they're doing. And uh, so you have to model yourself after someone. And uh, and that's what I've, I've done throughout my, my skiing career. Uh, back in 1988, I had the pleasure of skiing with Ingemar Stenmark. And, wow. uh, you know, at the time, Ingemar, uh, he, he was the best. He was just kind of on the verge of retiring. He was still racing a, a little bit here and there. But uh, I spent an entire day at the Black Home with him and, and just skied. And, um, you know, just watching him and the movement patterns that he had and we were discussing balance and so on. And he'd mentioned little things to us like ski between the bindings. And to the layman, that probably doesn't mean a darn thing. But, yeah. uh really made sense to me and I, I always think back to that, that as well, ski between the bindings. 
think that you've got a, a really short ski on so that you're not leveraging yourself on the front or the back of the ski and, and working on, on those kinds of things. So, you know, right right from the get-go, uh, yes, the World Cuppers have been. And, and these days, watching them, uh, what what amazes me is how, uh, how big of angles that they can actually create. So, uh, you know, number one is that you've got to be physically fit. You have to be flexible. Um, and these are important factors. So if, if, the, if I would say something to an instructor working towards their next level, just going skiing isn't going to do it for you. You better hit the gym in the off-season, uh, become strong, and make sure that uh, your, your legs are powerful, that you stay flexible, especially in the hip areas, uh, and, and be in tune with your body. Because when, when I watch someone like a Neurider skiing down the slope, he is so in tune with what his body is doing and, and what's going to happen when he decides to throw his feet out because he is a little bit out of balance, but he knows exactly why and where he's throwing his feet to, to recover and, and yeah. get back into balance. Yeah. So, you know, the biggest thing in the World Cup, uh, and that's what I try to do when I'm on that kind of ski, is I try to create some big angles. So get the hip close to the snow, you know. Uh, try to, to mm. develop uh, as much angulation as is possible without losing too much balance, right? And uh, and I think of, of inclination as balance and angulation as um, as a, a, a body position. And so, you know, when I'm skiing, uh, I'm taking this from a world cupper, I see how they, they just move so much to the inside of the turn and then as the ski starts to grip, because they've inclined inside the turn, they keep turning their legs, uh, keep, the skis keep turning for them. They, they ski into an angulated position, which helps to increase the edge angle even more. And then they can exit from the turn there. So that's what really uh, intrigues me and, and how quickly they can do it. Mm -hmm. But you need strength. You need to be powerful. You need to be in shape in order to do that. Otherwise, you're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely agree with that. Um, so then onto equipment, skis and boots and that sort of stuff. How important do you think uh, the equipment is for people? I, I think it's key. Uh, it's, it's pretty hard for you to try to, uh, to do a lot of the things that we ask our students of Take, for instance, if, if I ask my student to uh, to edge a whole bunch more, but I'm on a rental ski, which is a foam core ski, uh, doesn't have a lot of torsional rigidity to it, uh, the edges aren't really that sharp, pretty hard for you to, to, uh, to, to actually do the, the, the task that has been asked of you if the equipment isn't correct. Mm. And, and I would start right at the boots. And I don't think a lot of people take enough time with their boots to make sure that their boots fit them properly, uh, that their boots are, um, that their legs are aligned properly as well. As you know, Tom, uh, you, I'm sure you get this done, and, and I do as, as well, but you either get your soles ground or you, uh, you do something in there so that, uh, you know, when you're flexing forward in your boot that your knees aren't going to the outside, uh, that they're, they're moving towards the, the big toe that the alignment is kind of, is correct. And then making sure that the, the foot can function with inside the, the boot as well. Uh, I've, I've seen a lot of uh, 
boot fitting and uh, and uh, uh, getting insoles built for your feet where there's so much support that the foot can't work in a natural fashion. Uh, I'm a strong believer in having a, a footbed in your boot, but one that is is not rigid. Uh, it's not like you have a golf ball under your your, uh, your uh, arch. Uh, yeah. you, you have you have a little bit of give, uh, yeah. you know, so that you can balance. Uh, you know, running down on the beach in the summertime in Australia, uh, it feels right to be in your bare feet, and the balance that you have feel, feels good. And if we're talking about uh, feelings coming from the feet and being transferred up, I have to have that connection to the sole of my my boot and to the to the ski so that I can sense what what is going on uh, mm -hmm. as well. So I think boot fitting, uh, insoles, really, really important. Uh, have an insole that does allow the, the foot, when pressure comes on it, that the foot can collapse a little bit so that the muscles inside the foot uh, start to send messages up to the, the brain saying, this is what you need to balance, as opposed to, oh my goodness, this is going to really hurt because yep. uh, my arch is, is being supported uh, beyond what it needs to be su supported, right? Mm -hmm. So the boots are really important that way. Um, boot flex. Uh, I know that a lot of people uh, that the, the, the skis and the boots are going to a softer flexing boot. I've never been a proponent of a soft boot. I've always skied in the hardest boots I can possibly find. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had boots brought over from Europe from from the World Cup so that they they fit me. And uh, you know I'm in a 150 flex. Uh, uh, back when I was a bit younger, it was a 160 flex. I kind of like if I'm going to feel some pressure into the front of the boot, that the boot rebounds a little bit as well. That it gives me some feedback that my knee just doesn't doesn't keep going. Yeah. Um, I don't have a lot of dorsiflexion in in, in the ankle, but uh, uh, I just not built that way. So uh, having a boot that collapses on me doesn't feel good. It kind of hurts my ankle. So I like having that little bit of support. So a little stiffer boot is something. Uh, especially when it's warm out, I want to have something that is uh, is is going to support me a little bit. Yeah. Um, with the wider skis, I must say my stiffer boot doesn't feel that great. If I was on a, a 90 plus wasted ski, so 90 millimeters plus, uh, the the boot is too positive, and the edge uh, being so far outside the footprint of my my foot, uh, it puts a lot of torque on the knee. And yeah. unless you can lay it over every single time and get that ski up on its its edge, um, I find it it's a little bit more difficult. So I do have a softer pair of boots that if I'm going out on on uh, the wider skis, uh, I'll put on a, a softer pair of boots uh, with mm -hmm. those wider skis as well. I find that's a little better combination in there. Yeah, yeah. Skis skis have changed quite a bit, and um, you know we've got snowboarding I think to thank for that, but. Uh, all the side cut we have on the skis these days it really uh, uh, really has made skiing easier and um, you know, the early rise that uh, skis have in them now as well it does the same thing as adding side cut to the ski the ski is pre-bent uh, uh, basically and so you know we talked earlier about trying to get our GS skis up on the sidewall to bend them well these skis now with a little bit of early rise in them uh, some still have normal camber under the foot, but uh, just some relief in the tip and tail. When you tip them over, 
in essence, it's taken that 21-meter ski or 22-meter ski and made it into a 16-meter ski because of that early rise that, that's there. So the skis have really made a difference there and made skiing a lot easier for people. Um, and I, I think that skiing is more enjoyable for people. And here in Canada, we, we really have seen a, a resurgence of uh, people back into skiing. You know, snowboarding was a, it was kind of 50-50 between snowboarding and skiing for such a long time. And, and now you're seeing most of the people out on the hill are back into the skiing. Yeah. And shake skis have done, done that for us. Yeah, excellent. Um, so uh, I was going to ask you about interski because you've been several times. Um, what sort of what would be some of the highlights of that of that event? Well, you know, interski being just knowing and and, and getting to learn and uh, from other countries of what they do. Um, Making lifelong friends uh, is, is probably the highlight of, of Interski. I've met so many people from around the world that, uh, that have uh, enhanced my ski teaching career uh, just by knowing them and talking about skiing and how they feel about, about skiing. That really has been, been the, uh, the highlight of Interski for me is meeting all these different people and, and really realizing that our way is not the only way. The Canadian way is not the only way. Um, uh, there are so many different ways of, of doing things and having the, having the end result be very, very similar. Uh, in this day and age, you know, back in, in 87 when I was part of the team and, and Interski was in, in Canada and Banff, um, that was kind of the, the only opportunity that we had to get together. Um, nowadays, uh, you look at uh, you're down in Sydney, Australia. I'm up here in, in uh, Vernon, British Columbia, and we're talking to each other about ski technique. Uh, the internet has made such a big difference in that we we have uh, those exchanges of ideas are instantaneous. If you have a thought, uh, you're able to make a video. You can send it to me. I can look at it. I can analyze it and and, and look at it that way. And Interski uh, was. Uh, you know, the purpose for that was to try to, to get all the skiing nations together, get us looking at skiing uh, in, a, in a holistic sense. And uh, I believe that Interski has uh, globalized the ski teaching uh, a whole bunch. Uh, I don't think that the message you get in Australia is that much different than you get in Canada. Or the message that you get in Switzerland is much different than the one that you would get in the USA. Um, skiing has become much more global that way. We've exchanged ideas. We're, we're teaching in each other's countries uh, in the off season, yeah. and, uh, and interski has, has done that for us. So, you know, to me that that is really the highlight is that uh, that skiing has become a world sport as opposed to uh, a sport by country. It, it really has become come the same that way. Mm -hmm. I got to say, interski for me has uh, you know. Besides getting married and having my kids, it's been the highlight of, of my ski teaching career, uh, being part and parcel of that and being chosen to, to, to be there. It's our Olympics. And uh, yeah. you know, considering yourself as a, a bit of an athlete, uh, I, I couldn't go to the actual Olympics, but getting to interski was, uh, was a, a fantastic experience. Yeah. Do you remember the sort of the 
the most sort of proud moment being at the top of the demo slope when the, you guys were going to go down? Was that kind of, or maybe perhaps afterwards when you'd done it? And there was, was that sort of... Well, I, I have to look back to 1987, and, and one of my, my skiing partners and a really good friend, and you, you know him well as, as well, Tom, but uh, Cam Watson. Um, Cam is uh, he's a level four. He and I got our level four together. Uh, we made the team together, and uh, and Cam and I, we were on the same equipment. Uh, we, uh, we skied very similarly because we, we skied together a lot. Uh, and we had to do a demonstration there, and it was like we were tied together by a string. Uh, you know, the, the separation that was between the two of us, and it was high-speed kind of uh, uh, GS-type turns down a steep slope. And, and I just remember as I, I turned to the right and, uh, and he was on my left side that he just came along with me, and it was, it was such a cool feeling. And that's still one of the, uh, the highlights of my interski career is, as far as being a demonstrator. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the other highlight of being a, a, as being a coach is seeing that same kind of reaction out of team members. You know, when we went to uh, when we went to Japan in, in 1995 in the Zawa Onsen, uh, I remember some of our, uh, our our team members feeling that same way and, and, and having that same kind of sense when they got to the, the bottom of the, the ski slope of how attached they were uh, huh. to, to others. Yep. So that has that has been some some big moments for me. Uh, other moments has has been to uh, to, to be part and parcel of um, the, the the learning that takes place. So the sessions that take place afterwards, um, they they have been um, these sessions have validated some of the thoughts that we've had and some of the teachings that we've done in Canada and in others. It's uh, it's made us think. Are we doing the right thing? And uh, maybe we should uh, take a look and, and see if there's a different way of, of, of doing some, some things as well. So, you know, those are some big highlights there. They're, they're not specifics, but, you know, they're real eye-opening. Mm-hmm. I also, through Interski, I was able to uh, to go to uh, uh, the Kundestoftheim uh, in Kaprun, Austria. I spent two weeks on the glacier there uh, in in the Austrian uh, snow sports school there and, and being being taught by, you know, uh, Bernd Graber and, uh, and Richie Berger and Paul Zamania and, and some of the best ski teachers that you could ever find anywhere in, in the world. Uh, and then going to St. Anton, we actually spent the week before inter-ski at St. Christoph uh, and, uh, and, and just meeting everyone and uh, looking through their libraries and, and the steep history of, of the sport. Uh, the sport's kind of young here in Canada in comparison to uh, to other nations. So mm. uh, that those are some big highlights there as well. Yep, I can remember um, the the night we were supposed to do the um, the Australian run at St Anton, and and that mo- that morning we'd been practicing on the slope, and it was bulletproof. It was the worst snow. Like it was better in Australia, I think. And, you know, all these other countries had come down and skidded all over it. So it was, you know, bits of sugar and then ice. And so anyway, I had a bit of an intimidating practice session with the rest of the team. And we get to the top and we're all waiting up there and everyone's around. And there's this, you know, big hyped atmosphere. And you can see the French guys, you know, on the right and the Austrians on the left. And they're all absolutely cool. You know, it looks like this is no big deal. And I was just so nervous so so nervous and I turned to to our coach Andy Ray and I said 
Andy, I, um, I don't mind if, you know, if you don't think I can do this, I don't mind going around and, you know, like he said, shut up, Tom, just get down there. You've practiced for this, it's fine. And and I can just remember him and I, we kind of like, we did this sort of just a, a snake, me on telemarks and him behind me. And, and as soon as I went, it was fine. It was just, and I felt awesome and got yeah. to the bottom. But yeah, you're right. I can, I can see where you're coming from with the, the coach sort of aspect being sort of proud and then uh, being right in there and, and all that practice coming to this sort of staged almost performance with all the pressure there and you just, you just get in the zone. It's, it's, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it is a great feeling for sure. Yeah. So um, I want to be sort of respectful of your time, Norm. So uh, I guess finally, quickly, who who do you look for for inspiration at the moment? Who are you looking at? Uh, you know, th- th- there's a number of different things. I-, I could break it into a couple of couple of things uh, from a mental aspect and. and uh, watching skiing and and trying to keep my mind sharp on on what I'm looking for and trying to bounce ideas off of. Uh, The person that got me into ski teaching uh, back in 1979 when I took my level two course, uh, I had an instructor in front of me that was able to relate ideas in such a a fine fashion, and his name was Martin Olson. And to this day, Martin is still uh, my best friend, he, he ends up uh, coming up to Silver Star and they rent a cabin here and he skis all the time. And, you know, he walked into my office yesterday and we had a little chit-chat about technique. And uh, he is still a, a, a student of the sport. And so, uh, you know, when it comes to, to the sport itself, he's still someone that I look to, that I talk to skiing about. Uh, Steve Smart as well. I give him a phone call, see what he's working on in the racing world. Uh, he and I really uh, uh, respect what uh, our each other's opinions on on skiing, and uh, I, I totally respect what Steve has has to say uh, as well. Uh, I look abroad as well, and uh, and start to look at some of the best ski racers in in the in the world. So you you do look at you know Hersher just winning another globe, and uh, um, you know you you have to take a look at those guys and say to yourself, you know. Boy, boy, they, they are committing themselves to getting better. And what are they doing to, to, to get better as well? Um, the other thing that I try to do is that I try to, uh, to also uh, get some inspiration from my learners, from, from the people that I teach. Um, I, I'll give you, for instance, I have a, a client that comes out from Ottawa every year. Um, I ski a lot with the, this person. And uh, I've had, he's been kind of plateaued. For, for a number of years. I've talked about the same thing and so on and so forth. But this year, boy, just the light bulb moment went off, off for mm-hmm. him. And all of a sudden, both he and his son uh, ski with me. They start making some, some better turns. And then all of a sudden, that, that inspires me. And that, that kind of puts some drive in there. Keeps me thinking as well. How can I say the same thing in a different way so that... Uh, that the person can all of a sudden understand it and, and realize how to move forward with it. So, uh, you know, there, there's many people. I look to you, Tom. I, I watch some of the videos of you skiing. Hmm. Uh, you are you're an inspiration to me. You know, uh, and both in the alpine side of things and in the telemark side of things, uh, uh, it just amazes me that uh, that you can do the things that that you do uh, on those telemark skis. 
Uh, we actually had the world champion German uh, telemark skier uh, was at Silver Star uh, training again this year, and he just won the world championships. Wow. You know, they go through the park, and he throws a backflip on his telly gears. You know, <laughs> it, it, it just kind of it inspires you to, to, to move forward. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my very good friend, uh, Guy Paulson, uh, he's into the Nordic side of things, but tele, tele skiing, he's becoming better and better at it. Level four ski instructor, but just trying to broaden his horizons. Those are the kinds of people that I, I look to. Uh, I look to what they're trying to do and, and move themselves forward. Uh, that, that really inspires me. Hmm. Uh, and the biggest highlight that I had this, this year is that my boys and I went out skiing with mom at Christmas time, and um, I tell you, the angles that my kids can create are very similar to the angles that a lot of World Cuppers can create, <laughs> and they're the best skiers on the mountain, yeah. and uh, they, they overshadow uh, my skiing talents and mom's <laughs> skiing talents, so that, that's what makes you proud, so I think I've done something correct and instilled a real passion for the sport, because skiing is such a great thing, uh, Tom, it's something that you're going to be doing until... You're in your your 90s. It's going to be something that I can do until I'm I'm 90. I'm, I'm hoping that my body holds together. I've never really had any ski injuries, uh, so I'll touch wood on that one. Yeah. But um, it is it is a lifelong sport, and that's the beauty of it. And that's what inspires me. Great, excellent. Um, and then I was just thinking, uh, I've heard, you know, being around all uh, sort of different. Uh, experienced skiers you hear like you know these it's almost like I caught this fish that was you know this this big and the, these exaggerated stories and you know ones of people skiing on one ski because uh, they'd broken their foot or had frostbite or something and they ski down at an extremely steep run or something and better than anyone else on two skis what's your what's your biggest fish story like have you seen someone and can you remember a story where you're like, oh, my God, that's the most impressive thing I've seen in, you know, real-life skiing ever? Well, i got to say that, uh, that when I was uh, in, in Norway for Interski in 1999, the, the Norwegian um, Interski team, they, they really impressed me. And uh, they, they skied down on their cross-country gear, uh, so they had skating skis on. Uh, they skied down, and it looked like they had alpine gear on. <laughs> and uh, um, beside the, uh, the, the the demo slope itself, there was a big jump that they had built. And uh, being the, the hosting country, they could have as many members as, as they had. But uh, it was their alpine members that were, um, they're also demonstrating in the alpine side. But there they were with cross-country skis on. And um, there were about 10 of them. And they all went zipping off of this jump. And this jump was huge. And they had to chop the landing and and so on and so forth. And a number of them jumped off, you know, doing uh, daffies and uh, doing spread eagles and so on and so forth. And the last person that came down on a pair of cross-country skis just doing a backflip <laughs> and landed in a telemark landing and both skis broke, right? Right <laughs> at the binding, but he skied away. He no actually, his skis just folded up and yeah. he skied away. That Like that was just so, so impressive. Uh, when I watched that, yeah. um, and another another one would been, have been uh, I had the opportunity to ski with uh, with Berndt Graber, and uh, and Berndt was uh, he was a what I would say is a naturally gifted 
skier. He he really had the touch. There there was stuff that he he would do that uh, I would just say to myself, man, oh man, uh, I can't believe someone can be that light on the edge yet that powerful in in, in the look. And uh, and Brent, uh, he 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 was one heck of a, a, a great skier. So yeah. you know, th- those are some things that uh, that really have impressed me o- over the years. And uh, uh, you know, the cross country side of things, that uh, you know, it just shows you that balance is so much of skiing. Yeah. And, uh, and and that really really stuck out in my mind. Excellent. Well, um, anything final to say before we wrap up this conversation? Well. You know, all I can say is that for, for anyone that is working towards the next level of, of skiing, um, you know, become a student of the sport. Become uh, more than just a student of the sport. Be, be, become a, a, a student of the human, human anatomy, how the, the anatomy works, uh, so that you, you understand what the motor patterns uh, need to be in order to, to ski properly. How that integration of your motor patterns along with the ski design, how they work work together, and uh, you know, skiing. There, there's so much to look at. There's so many videos to take a look at uh, online. Uh, just just watch a lot and uh, watch a lot of good skiing because that's what you want to imprint in your mind is the mm-hmm. good skiing. You know, um, I, I do a lot of video with my snow sports school, and they want to see themselves over and over again. And I say, oh, no, that's enough of that now. Okay, if you want to watch that, you want to watch the good skiing. So yeah. here's an image of what you want to watch so that you yeah. imprint your mind with the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great words of advice. Well, thanks again for your time, Norm. That was really fun chatting with you. And um, wish you the best of luck for the rest of the season in Canada. I know it's almost over. And we'll have to do it again sometime. Well, thanks very much, Tom. I really appreciate you asking me on this. Uh, I hope that you guys have a, a great season down under, uh, just like you did last year. You had a whole yeah. bunch of snow, and I, I wish that upon you guys again. So thanks very much, Tom. Cheers. Thanks, Tom. Some of you may already know that I've been advising Carve and working with the team for some time now. And this year, the team has come up with probably some of the most exciting developments to date. They've been working on representing the most fun parts of skiing in their system. They've developed three brand new metrics, progressive edging, early weight transfer, and one that measures the G-force in a turn. And that one, I have to say, I got to try it out this winter in Australia, and that is really fun. This new addition is going to be incredible for anyone who's looking to really push their skiing up a notch. Now, what's even more interesting for this year is the system now detects what terrain you're on and pulls that into your ski IQ score. This is a huge change and a great upgrade because sometimes it would only really score well if you were skiing on perfectly groomed snow. Now it's going to accommodate and adjust whether you're skiing in steeper slopes, more chopped up snow or firmer snow. So this is a very big change that I think is massive kudos to the team to keep pushing and progressing the app even further. If you're the kind of skier that is looking for a tool to help push your technique that little bit further, then you should definitely check out what Carve can do. Use the code GELLIE15, that's G-E-L-L-I-E-1-5, to get 15% off for the next two weeks.